stay home and get tested. The operation is expected to finish at around noon. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Live across Hong Kong, this is Radio 3. Good morning, it's 8.03 in Hong Kong on Friday the 11th of February. A warm welcome to Money Talk on Radio 3. This is Peter Lewis with today's business headlines. US consumer prices rose at the fastest pace since 1982 in the 12 months to January. Food and energy costs pushed the annual inflation rate up to 7.5%, higher than economists had forecast. On a monthly basis, core consumer prices climbed 0.6% in January, above the 0.4% predicted by economists. Following the data release, Fed Fund's futures markets were pricing in a more than 61% chance of seven rate increases by the Fed this year and pointed to a near 100% chance that the first one in March will be 50 basis points rather than the usual 25 Credit growth in China surged in January, a traditionally strong month for bank lending. The PBOC reported yesterday that aggregate financing was a larger than expected 6.17 trillion yuan. That's almost 1 trillion US dollars, up from 2.4 trillion in December and 5.2 trillion in January 2021. Financial institutions offered 3.98 trillion yuan of new loans in the month. That's the largest credit injection since records began in 1992. Broad M2 money supply also grew faster than expected, up 9.8% in January. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by Andrew Ferris of UCAP Hong Kong Asset Management and Sunil Kashyap at Finmet. With a view from India, it's Toby Lawson from Societe General India. Money Talk! On Wall Street, stocks tumbled after US inflation hit a 40-year high and traders speculated about an emergency intermeeting rate hike by the Fed after the St. Louis Fed President James Bullard called for a 50 basis points hike as soon as possible. In a volatile day of trading, all three major indices briefly turned positive at one point during the session before closing sharply lower. The S&P 500 index slumped 1.8% to 4,504, with all 11 S&P sectors in the red. Financials and energy were the best performers. The Dow dropped 526 points to 35,242. The Nasdaq Composite Index plunged 2.1% to 14,186. In Europe, the Stock 600 index fell 0.2%. London's FTSE 100 climbed 0.4%. Hong Kong mainland shares wavered Thursday before climbing into positive territory in the afternoon session. The Hang Seng index ended the day with gains of 94 points or 0.4% at a three-week high of 24,924 and taking its gains to 6.5% for this year. The Hang Seng Tech Index was up 0.6%. On the mainland, the Shanghai Composite rose 0.2% to 3,486. Shares of China Evergrande rose 5.4% after Chairman Hoi Kaiyan ruled out a fire sale of assets and said that the developer would complete half of its remaining projects and deliver 600,000 units in 2022. Shares of Wuxi Biologics fell 5.4% 
taking its losses over the past three days since it was placed on the, unfe- on the unverified list by the U.S. Commerce Department to almost 28 percent. U.S. Treasury bonds jumped after the inflation report. The 10-year yield surged nine basis points to above two points to above two percent for the first time since August 2019, and taking its rise to 50 basis points so far this year. Short-dated yields, which are highly sensitive to interest rate rises, surged even more. The two-year yield rocketed 22 basis points higher to 1.61 percent. That's its. Uh, highest level since January 2020. In Europe, the yield on Germany's 10-year Bund, which last month traded in positive territory for the first time since 2019, added nine basis points to 0.31%. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil is at $91.46 a barrel. Gold is trading at $1,827 an ounce. In the currency markets, the euro this morning at $1.14. The Japanese yen is at 116 against the dollar. Sterling is at $1.35.5 and 10 Hong Kong dollars and 57 cents. Chinese yuan is trading at 6.36.5 versus the dollar in offshore markets. And Bitcoin is over 1% lower at $43,400. Around Asian stock markets this morning... Uh, markets in Japan are closed for a holiday. In those that are open, the SX200 in Australia down three quarters of a percent. Uh, the Cosby in South Korea off 0.9%. Futures markets pointing for, to a decline of about 100 points for the Hang Seng at the open this morning. It's 8.09 over in our Queensway studio. We have Sunil Kashap, Director at FinMet. Morning, Sunil. Good morning. And on the phone, we have Andrew Ferris, Chief Strategist at UCAP Hong Kong Asset Management. Welcome, Andrew. Good morning. Uh, Let's start with the latest COVID situation in Hong Kong. The Territory reported another 986 infections yesterday, all but one of them locally transmitted. There were also around 800 preliminary positive cases. On the corporate front, the CEO of the Mandarin Oriental Hotel Group, which is majority owned by Jardine Matheson, says he wants to move his executive team outside of Hong Kong. James Riley told the Financial Times that the isolated city has become a very poor base as a result of strict coronavirus restrictions and it had become infeasible for his team to remain in the city. Mr Riley has lived in Hong Kong for 25 years and said increasingly most of my key senior executives are now travelling or are outside Hong Kong. And I have no plans for them to come back because they can't do anything here. And Bravo Transport Services, which runs Hong Kong's City Bus and New World First Bus Services, has called on the government to provide wage support to avoid mass layoffs. And Sunil, let's, let's kick off with you, get your thoughts here. I mean, Hong Kong is now attempting to do what no other city has done without months of full lockdown and at a huge economic cost. And no one's actually achieved that uh, with the Omicron variant. So do you think we're on the right track here at all? I think, you know, the government is, um, is caught between a rock and a hard place right now because, you know, clearly the stated policy of the country is uh, dynamic zero COVID and... So in order to achieve that, this is probably the best they can do. 
Um, so it is what it is, unfortunately. I mean, what, what is dynamic zero anyway? How is that different from zero COVID? I, I think what what probably uh, people mean by that is is you you uh, try to achieve zero. So you you move mm. even though you may have spikes, your your policies and your uh, actions uh, try to ensure that you uh, try to deal with uh, the infections as fast as possible and move it back towards zero. Now Mel- Melbourne tried this. Uh, before um, before Omicron even, um, to get what was a high infection rate back down to zero. They locked the whole city down in their homes for three months. There was more than a thousand job losses a day. It had a huge economic consequence. Can we afford that? Um, well, I, I think on the other side, Perth uh, and Western Australia is still closed down, right? So, mm. And it hasn't I worked. Think- oh, it's working for them. They're, they're closed down. They're, they're still, you know, people but they haven't got it down to zero. Uh, yes. So even I think for us, you know, the issue of dynamic zero is that we're not trying to get to a number, but you're trying to uh, take actions to try and limit the spread mm-hmm. uh, rather than just allow it to increase. And so that's what I think, you know, that's what the policymakers have, have decided. And that's what we're seeing right now. Andrew, what are your thoughts? Well, you know, my thought is it's a well-conceived and well-meaning uh, uh, rhetorical question. Is this, uh, I can see why uh, the government is, uh, is taking these particular measures. And um, the etymology and uh, the word explanation, literally biblical interpretation of what dynamic zero means, uh, even... Um, Ms. Lam herself said, uh, I have no idea. I didn't invent, I didn't invent, um, invent this particular term, so I'm afraid I cannot explain this to you. Even if it means trying to approach zero in a secular fashion, still leaves the huge question unanswered. And that is, okay, suppose over a period of X days or X months, we do achieve dynamic zero, whatever that means. Then we begin to open. The moment we open, the infection will simply come in again. Mm. In other words, it's... I, I'm, I don't quite understand of uh, setting up a target that it is not difficult, it is impossible to achieve because Hong Kong is a small island surrounded by a huge raging sea of infections. Mm. So, you know, this is, so it is a genuine question as opposed, as, as opposed as, a, as a criticism. Okay, it's very easy, of course, to be an armchair epi- mm. epidemiologist in this particular case. Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, it's easy when we don't have to make the, uh, make exactly. the policy. But nevertheless, there are a lot of people who are questioning uh, this and also uh, questioning the price that our economy and our status as an international financial centre, uh, it, what it could cost us. You heard there about the CEO of the Mandarin Oriental Group. We've had the various uh, chambers of commerce here in, uh, in Hong Kong raise the warning flags about the cost. I mean, can we afford the, the economic cost of this? Well, you know, Peter, early on, about a year and a half ago, when the thing really started, there were several studies doing something incredibly cruel, and that was the trade-off between the costs of lockdown or the costs of limiting the spread versus human lives uh, either saved or not saved. And uh, the trade-offs occasionally, let's say, were, were jaw-dropping uh, in terms of not just the size, but in terms of the way they have been calculated. And this, thankfully, has been put aside. In other words, mm. people decided that human lives is human lives, and we're not going to say for every 1% of GDP we gain, we lose X thousand people. But it, it, shouldn't, it shouldn't be a trade-off, should it, between human lives 
and the social and economic costs. Shouldn't both be taken into account? Because for some people, the misery of losing their jobs, being thrown on the, uh, you know, on, in, in, into the ranks of the unemployed, maybe for a long period of time, um, is also, you know, a very, very high price for them to pay. Well, actually, this becomes, yes, but this becomes even worse in the case of Hong Kong. Because here, the potential trade-off, I, I have never seen any numbers calculated for Hong Kong. As I said, this was uh, back a year and a half ago, and they were mostly done by the National Health Service in in UK. Now, back, coming back to Hong Kong, what makes the thing much worse in Hong Kong is that the most vulnerable section, in other words, the 80-year-olds and over, are effectively unvaccinated. Mm-hmm. So if the trade-off was to take place, uh, this is going to kill all people. Okay, this, that's, that's a very crude way of putting it, but, but it is. Okay, so that, that makes it even worse as a kind of a choice. Not that killing young people is going to be all right, okay, but here the possibility is very clearly uh, defined. These mm. people are not vaccinated. But, but the, the reality is, isn't it, that this is... Uh, well, in here in Hong Kong, there have been three deaths, but uh, whilst they had Omicron, we're not at all sure that they died from Omicron because they were chronically ill um, yeah. in, in the first place. Mm. So... It does seem that we're extracting a huge economic cost for a virus that doesn't seem to be as serious um, as, as previous variants were. And in no, the, the US, uh, they're talking about maybe, you know, 97.5% of people yeah. are either asymptomatic or um, as, asymptomatic or only have very mild symptoms. You know, Peter, this leads to an unbelievably awkward kind of discussion. Not that I'm trying to avoid it. And that is saying... Do under normal circumstances, people or governments do everything possible to avoid loss of human life? Mm-hmm. If that was the case, then we shouldn't drive at all. Okay, or we should drive in a tank-shaped cars to avoid any deaths from uh, from car crashes. Or, given that the majority of the deaths in Hong Kong, like in the United States, are caused by three factors. One mm. is caused by circulatory diseases, that's heart diseases. Secondly, by cancer-related diseases. And the third one is, surprise, surprise, upper respiratory syndromes. And that is pneumonias, particularly in older people. Mm. So if we want to stop uh, people dying in Hong Kong, you ensure that they are not fat, they exercise regularly, they don't smoke, they don't eat practically everything that got carcinogens in it. I'm being facetious now. Okay, so it is true that you say lives are precious and very important, but it is equally politically possibly incorrect to say, well, there is a trade-off and uh, we're going to work on that. Yeah, I, I, I would just say that I think the trade-off that we talk about you know, is shifting also. So yeah. the situation didn't look as bad, let's say, two weeks ago, and it said, okay, fine, you know, we have a trade-off and things were okay, okay, uh, working fine. Now there's a new realization that the trade-off may have changed, and so that's why we're having this discussion. So I think from policymakers' point of view, it's extremely difficult to, to figure out where it is. I think also it's a matter of you know, the slowly getting used to the new reality. Mm-hmm. which Hong Kong is, is probably doing. So you can already see that the government is open to things like home quarantines and uh, people get, you know, recovering at home or moving out of the hospital. So there, there are, it's shifting its policy slowly. Um, and you know, it doesn't sort of seem being forced enough. to, though, isn't it, by it circumstances rather than maybe choosing voluntarily. Correct, correct. But it's, again, uh, uh, you know, a change in policy depending on the situation. Mm-hmm. So given that there is an economic cost and this economic cost could be very high, 
Uh, we had Fitch ratings uh, halving their GDP forecast for the territory this year. What can be done to try and uh, reduce that economic cost? Because some of the people who are paying this are unskilled workers who are very difficult to retrain. You can't just put them very easily into new jobs. What can we do? Well, Hong Kong still has a substantial uh, fiscal surplus. Uh, it has been decreased significantly by the two major handouts. And uh, it's no good saying, well, we're going to keep it uh, above zero for a rainy day. Well, the rainy day is here and it's pouring. So Hong Kong, even moving on an overall negative position, will be perfectly okay because the government does have a, a very large and consistent source of uh, of, uh, of uh, financial resources. And uh, Hong Kong is not the only country in the world that runs permanent deficits and has a substantial large uh, 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 foreign debt, let's call it, or, or domestic debt. In other words, this, in the same way that uh, we have been saying we might have to get used to living with COVID, we might have to get used to living with uh, a permanent and possibly slowly increasing fiscal deficit. Mm. So, Sunil, what, what can we do to try and mitigate the economic impact here, particularly for those in the sectors that are really suffering very badly, tourism, uh, retail, catering and so on? Yeah, I, I think the key is, firstly, you know, the important thing is to, to, to right now stabilize the situation. Uh, but the answer has to be uh, opening, reopening the border with, with China. I think if some kind of solution can be found of how to do that and, and to... Uh, enabled two-way flow, uh, that would be the the obvious first way to start because you have you know the world's sec- second biggest economy just next door. And if uh, they don't open this year, uh, that's going to be difficult because I think you know that's a, it's a matter of choice, right? Um, and I don't actually I don't think there's a choice. Also, I mean that's the only way that we can we can do it because we are part of a, a larger country. Mm. Let's move on because I want to get your comments on these U.S. inflation figures. U.S. consumer prices rising at the fastest pace in 40 years. Uh, consumer price inflation uh, it surged 7.5%, uh, much higher than economists uh, had forecast. Uh, energy prices rose 27%. Food prices jumped 7%. And Fed Fund futures markets now pricing in a 61% chance of uh, seven rate increases by the Fed this year and almost a 100% chance that the first one in March is going to be 50 basis points rather than the usual 25. So now what do you make of that? Yeah, I mean, the, the dramatic thing is just before the uh, number came out, I think the the percentage chance was 33%. Mm. So, so that's change. a sudden change. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's obvious that you have a situation where inflation has been going higher. People have been talking about the fact that it's not transitory. Uh, the Fed probably politically preferred to try and wait and not to act too fast and now you have a situation where uh, it's it's a supply led inflation right now and and i'm not sure even whether rate increases could could make that much of a difference so um it is a bit of a, a jam we have to see how uh, the, the the input prices um, you know uh, can be controlled i'm not sure rate increases will control in, input prices um, to some extent, I still have a sympathy for the transitory version of the Fed. Of course, now they've got so much egg on their face, it looks like a small omelette. Uh, and I'm, I'm not being sarcastic here because these things do happen. But then when I look at the components of the increases uh, in the CPI 
this, I mean, last month in the United States, the third most important one was the price of second-hand cars. Mm. I mean, you look at this and you blink. You see what kind of a world these guys are living in. <laughs> second-hand cars, and that is something that drives the CPI up. Well, unfortunately, it's it odd, odd that it has such a large weighting, isn't it, in the CPI? Yeah, well, but, but, but it is. That's the, that's the way it is. Now, whether this is transitory or not, I find it a little bit hard to believe that uh, for the rest of our lives, prices of second-hand cars in the United States are going to go up uh, in exactly the same way that you will say about energy prices or also food prices. You know, food prices, it's such a nightmare to enter into because if one looks at simply commodity prices, I've been looking at wheat, at corn, that's maize, okay, at soybeans, uh, some aspects of, uh, of, uh, of meat, and they're all going up. Mm. But now, fortunately, people don't eat raw soybean, neither they eat raw corn. They, meet, they eat processed food. And actually, the, the cost of processed food, which is accounted by transportation, occasionally it is shockingly low. Mm. So you can't possibly blame it all on the containers or on shipping freights. So uh, there is something else getting involved here, including the cost of packaging and including the cost of distribution. Mm. So, and that's, that's the point. I think, you know, will Fed fund rate increases really thank you. have that much of an impact? That's the exactly. big exactly. question exactly. I think everyone is looking at. What do you exactly. think, Sunil? There's this speculation that there could even be an intermeeting emergency rate hike as early as tomorrow or Monday. Do you think that's likely? The, the crucial problem for them is, you know, is that going to have the necessary impact? So mm. they, they look even worse if you do a sudden increase and suddenly you find the equity markets going down, but inflation continuing to be high. Bless, bless you, Neil, for bringing this up. Also, if we look at simply the employment level, not unemployment, it is still below that when the COVID hit. And we have the famous one and a half million resignations. So the labor market isn't something that you could point your finger at, okay, and say that uh, it, is causing, uh, it is causing somehow wage increases, which incidentally now, for the last easily six months, they are negative. Mm-hmm. In other words, in you get terms. a 5% increase in your wages and you have a 6% increase in CPI. Okay. Well, thank you both very much. Have a great weekend. You heard there Andrew Ferris, Chief Strategist at UCAP Hong Kong Asset Management, and Sunil Kashap, who's Director at FinMet. <laughs> You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. RTHK Radio 3. On the phone from Mumbai, India, is Toby Lawson, the CEO of Society General India. Morning, uh, Toby. Um, let's carry on that conversation about the U.S. Uh, inflation rate. Uh, a bit of a shocker there, isn't it? Uh, so much so now uh, that we're talking about seven rate hikes this year and maybe even uh, an emergency one uh, before March. Yeah, it's quite uh, quite intriguing uh, to wake up uh, here in Mumbai this morning and look at um, a tale of two different countries when it comes to inflation. The CPI in the U.S. is 7.5%. Um, talk of 50 basis points in March. Uh, it might be worth to, uh, those historians to say the last time that the Fed raised rates at 50 basis points was in May 2000, and then that was from 6% to 6.5%. So people get to look at it in relative sense. A move of 50 basis points is quite significant when you're at 0.25 mm. uh, or effectively zero. So um, you may be a little bit uh, you know, uh, speculative to suggest an inter, inter-month meeting and also even to suggest a 50 basis point moving. Historically, the Fed will move initially in, in quarter points, but uh, yes, it's a big number. And uh, the question is, 
how persistent is it and have the Fed got too far behind? What are economists and, and the Fed getting wrong here? Because they're, they're missing this, aren't they? It seems to be exceeding expectations every month, surprising the Fed every month with its persistence. What, what have people been missing? Well, I just think the... The firstly, you had supply. Obviously, there's been a you know a clear systemic issue in terms of the supply chain, mm-hmm. uh, driven by whether there was an undercapacity investment over a period of time, an underestimation of the recovery of demand from uh, COVID, and uh, also additionally the you know the impact of China maintaining a strict uh, zero COVID policy, uh, being one of the main uh, exporting countries. So a number of factors probably need to be considered in relation to the persistence of the supply chain uh, price rises or impact of, uh, of the supply side on the inflation numbers. And I think that's probably where the underestimation is. The question is, does it feed into the demand side of the equation? And that's where the Fed are probably thinking that they didn't have to worry so much about that. Now it's starting to be uh, something they can't ignore. Do you get any sense that uh, people are starting to lose confidence in the in the Fed over this? That maybe uh, they're too far behind and they've really got to do something now uh, to to get that confidence back and to control the policy narrative. Well, you can just look at the way the curves traded, right? So you've seen uh, you know big move in two years versus ten years. So clearly. The market, uh, you know, is pricing now much more aggression from the Fed. Now, that remains to be seen, of course. The Fed have been very conscious of trying to be transparent and consistent and trying to measure out its uh, its adjustment from monetary accommodation uh, to a, a sort of more neutral position. There's a long way to go uh, in terms of getting to neutral. So at this point in time, uh, market's probably a bit too speculative in relation to what the Fed will do, but clearly... Um, you know, the noise is now lifting. Equity markets will be impacted. And one of the things the Fed will be considering is how aggressive they need to move to avoid, as you quite rightly point out, that perception that they're... Hello, Toby. Uh, okay, well, we seem to have lost uh, lost Toby Lawson, but also, uh, sadly, we've, we've run out of time as well. Uh, anyway, so that was Toby Lawson, uh, the CEO of Societe Generale India. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Uh, Let's take a look at the markets for the final time this week. In Australia, the SX200 is down one and a quarter percent. Uh, It's a holiday in Japan, so markets close there. Uh, But in South Korea, the Cosby is down about 1.1 percent. Uh, futures markets indicating that the Hang Seng uh, is set to slip about 100 points or so at the open this morning. If we take a look at the commodities markets, Brent crude oil is at $91.46 a barrel, and uh, gold right now is trading at $1,825 an ounce. That's it for me. Uh, Do have a great weekend. Please join me again on Monday morning for more Money Talk. COVID update is coming up after the news with Janice Wong. Let me give you an update on the weather forecast for this morning. Sunny periods, the maximum temperature will be about 21 degrees. Sunny periods tomorrow. There will be a few rain patches on Sunday and temperatures will fall at night and it's going to be cool in the morning next Monday and Tuesday. Temperature right now is 17 degrees, 83% relative humidity. It's 8.30. Here's Todd Harding with the half hour news. The Hong Kong and Macau Affairs Office says it will hold a meeting between mainland and SAR officials in the near future to come up with measures to help control the epidemic situation in Hong Kong. Aaron Tam reports. 
The office's spokesman said on its website that the central government has reiterated its full support for Hong Kong in its fight against the latest resurgence of the epidemic. It said it'll hold the special meeting in Shenzhen with the National Health Commission and the National Center for Disease Control and Prevention. The meeting will be attended by officials from Guangdong, Shenzhen and the SAR, as well as mainland experts who will study, formulate and implement measures and policies to support Hong Kong, ensure supplies to the territory and maintain stability in the SAR. Hong Kong has reported 986 new COVID cases, down from the previous day's record high tally. At a press briefing, health officials said they were concerned about the number of infections linked to DB Plaza in Discovery Bay. Here's Dr. Chuang Chok Kwan from the Centre for Health Protection. So far, the, we looked at the, in the Discovery Bay Plaza, there are at least four cleaners, two customer service um, personnel and uh, two um, shopkeepers. Uh, are, are, uh, confirmed cases. So we are worried that uh, the plaza, there may be some transmission in that plaza. That's why we ask them to close and for disinfection. Of course, we will quarantine those close contacts in those shops. The International Council of Nurses has said it's a professional responsibility for nurses around the world to get vaccinated against COVID. The council said nurses played a fundamental role in increasing public trust in vaccines. The BBC's Imogen Folks reports. Nursing is a highly trusted profession, the ICN says, and nurses are powerful role models. That's why it's so important they set an example by getting vaccinated. The COVID-19 vaccines are safe and effective, the council adds, and nurses have a responsibility to protect themselves, their patients and their health systems. But the statement does not go as far as backing mandatory vaccination. Figures have shown that inflation in the United States hit an annual rate of 7.5% in January, the highest in four decades. Mr Biden said he'll work hard to bring prices down. I'm going to work like the devil to bring gas prices down, which I'm going to work in to make sure that we keep strengthening the supply chains to bring the cost of energy and everything else and the goods that come to America down by helping the ports 24-7, by changing a whole range of things that... You know, what's happened with COVID, COVID has caused significant increase in prices in the supply chain. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to COVID Update. I'm Janice Wong. In the next 25 minutes or so, we'll get expert analysis on the latest COVID wave by virologist Professor Malik Perez from the University of Hong Kong. And we will also look at the latest developments in Discovery Bay, which, like many locations in Hong Kong, is undergoing mandatory testing. We'll be speaking to Jonathan Chow from the group DB Watchdog. But before we get to our guests, here's our producer, Christy Lai, with a summary of the latest developments. Over to you, Christy. Thanks, Janice. Hong Kong yesterday reported another 986 COVID-19 infections, all but one of them are locally transmitted. The Center of Health Protection said some of the cases are linked to DB Plaza and Discovery Bay, and the shopping mall has now been ordered to close for disinfection. Meanwhile, a 94-year-old chronically ill COVID patient has passed away, bringing the COVID dead toll in Hong Kong to 216. She was unvaccinated. Three other COVID patients are critically ill, and six others are in serious condition. 
The latest compulsory testing notice issued today covers a broad area of Hong Kong. It includes Tower 7 of Bellagio in Shenzhen, Tower 3A of Cinerama in Maan Shan, and Park Garden in Causeway Bay. For the full list, you can go to the Center of Health Protection website, chp.gov.hk. And if you have any other inquiries on compulsory testing, you can call the government's hotline, 6275-6901. That's 6275-6901.